0: Hi, this is Jim Labedo. I'm the president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on BizTalk Radio Show. I started BizTalk so you can have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group, which is in the business of helping the leadership of growth-oriented companies realize their potential. We do this by working with their sales force and helping those individuals discover and develop their unique abilities and then align those abilities with their opportunities. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Well, welcome to the new year. It's amazing when it happens when the calendar just tends to flip over from that December 31st to January 1st that hope springs eternal. We get to reset the clock. And, and try to get it right in the upcoming year. When I talked to a bunch of business owners at the end of um, 2009, as we went into 2010, I said, what are you most grateful about or for in 2009? And they said, well, the fact that the year was over. <laughs> they couldn't wait for 2009 to be over. In 2010, I'll be uh, interested to see what do people think about 2010? Because now's the time I generally ask that question. So if I was to ask it of you, what are you most grateful for in 2010? Hopefully you'll say more than just the fact the year was over. 2009 was kind of a rough year to be in business at any level. 2010 probably did not meet expectations. But uh, I think the expectations were set too high. So 2011, Hope Springs Eternal, that uh, we can reset the clock, wipe the slate clean, and start over most of what we talk about here on the performance group uh, at the performance group has to center around with driving revenues and the people associated with that that translate over to this program biz talk and so most of what we talk about at BizTalk talk comes from my field experience of just being out in the community working with leaders and discovering what's on their mind as they continue to try to grow their companies and so today what we're going to talk about The key question is, uh, what results are you wanting from the roles that are in your company? That's number one. And number two, how would you reward the results that those roles are producing? So what results are you looking for and how would you reward those results? Now, the simple way to translate that is to say, what's the compensation plan you have for your people? How do you compensate what your people are doing? And that can become a very touchy topic, and a topic that I've been discussing a lot with some company presidents here in the last month as they try to reset the clock and go into the new year. So I'm going to carry over that conversation to our program today. Uh, what compensation is all about? How to use compensation as a motivator? So if you're leading a group of people, or they're at a manager level, or VP level, or president of a company. You know, what kind of compensation can you design that will motivate the people? If you're an employee where you don't get to design your own compensation plan, stay tuned because we'll give you some insight on what you can be bringing forward to your employer and say, here's what this role really does, here's the results it really produces, and here's how I feel we can get compensated for that and create that dialogue on both sides. So that's what we're going to talk about on the BizTalk program today is compensation as a motivator. Before we get to that, just some housekeeping chores. If you're looking for resources to improve your career, to advance your career, to improve your company, to be more competitive in 2011, go out to the BizTalk website, which is biztalkradioshow.com. If you go out to the homepage there, you'll find a couple of things. Number one, you'll find the nine steps to getting your sales force to overachieve. That's on our website. Now, the nine steps to getting your sales force to overachieve is you just uh, sign up for that. And it's a download, and um, it just gives you key insights on the nine things you could be doing to get your sales force to overachieve. So that's available on the website, biztalkradioshow.com. You can also go out there and click on the five hidden sales weaknesses, and you can download a copy of that. The five hidden sales weaknesses, how they cost you margins, profits, and opportunities. It's real world examples of how the five hidden weaknesses affect sales performance, the three myths behind top talent and why some salespeople can't close and why some salespeople save the best sales pitch for the manager instead of the customer. If you sign up for that, we'll actually mail you a hard copy of that, and then you can download electronic version. All that available on the website, biztalkradioshow.com. The other thing, that I received a couple emails. Um, this was two weeks ago, right before we went into Christmas, that uh, program we did Um uh, right before Christmas. And if you want to send me an email, you can just send it to Jim at com. Jim at BizTalkRadioshow.com. That'll get to me. And I forget the topic we had a couple weeks ago. Well, that wasn't important, but a person uh, took the time to just write and say how much they enjoyed listening to the program and thought it was valuable inside and asked me a couple of questions. And I was able to give them additional resources that we have just to make their job a little bit easier. So, again, if you're a topic of interest on any of the BizTalk programs and you want further information on that, or just to communicate with me at BizTalk Radio Show, to send an email to jim at biztalkradioshow.com. For those of you involved in sales, perhaps you want to go to our website under Key Insights. And under Key Insights, what you're able to see is Sales Quick Coach, which are two-minute timeouts to improve your performance, we post one each month out there. It's just a sales tip. If you want to receive them each week, every Tuesday morning, just sign up for that, and we'll gladly send those to you. So there are some resources you can use to uh, go out there and um, help improve, download and use that information, to help improve what you're doing in your role and in your company. So anyway, those are some of the things that are available on the BizTalk uh, website if you just go out there and find those. Okay. We're going to talk about compensation as a motivator. You know, people come to work today for their reasons, not yours. Part of the reason they show up each day is to make money. How they make money and why they want to make money are two keys to understanding what will motivate them to be more productive in their roles in your companies. We're talking about compensation plans on our program today, using compensation as a motivator. And as I was preparing for our our program, I was thinking about the myriad of compensation plans I've been through in my own career and what motivated me to do what I needed to do. And as, as I talked to company presidents, as I talked to employees, one of the areas of most frustration has to center around compensation because there's two facts in business. Fact number one, you're never going to have enough time to do the things you think are important and you're never going to, you're never going to make enough money. In other words, get paid what you think you're worth. So there's never enough time and there's never enough money. So we always seem like we're always hurried and we're always underpaid. So if you accept that reality, you can start to, I guess, deal with it. And as I was preparing for the program, a couple things came to mind. Number one, it's this. Compensation drives behavior. Basically, end of discussion. In most roles in in a company, the compensation will drive the behavior. Now, the question that usually gets people stumped is, what behavior do you want from the person? Now, to understand that, you'd have to know what results you want from the role that they're going to play. So that may be counterintuitive to your thinking, but I'll break it down for you again. We all tend to play many roles inside a company. What's your primary role and what results are, you, are expected that role to produce if, the, if you can't tie some tangible and measurable results to that role, then maybe the role should not exist. Let's make it pretty simple. Uh, one of the results we would want from a receptionist position is somebody to answer the phone in a timely and pleasant manner. So first of all, you have to define what timely is You know, by the second or third ring. A pleasant manner, would. what is the greeting? Because we all know what unpleasant is when we call into a company. So a timely and pleasant manner could be one of the key activities or results you're expecting from the, uh, a role in a receptionist. It could be from our business manager or somebody in a financial role inside who takes care of your finan- uh, financial statements at the end of the month. It could be producing a correct you know, P&L uh, balance sheet by the 5th of the following month. So if you close out this month, by the 5th of the next month, this report would be done. So you're timing, you're assigning some time factor and accuracy factor into having that report done. So what key results, and by the way, as over the years, what I've noticed about this is that there really aren't much more than a half dozen things associated with almost anything. There's usually just a half dozen things you have to do correctly in order to get through life in general. There's usually just a half dozen things you got to do correctly to drive a car. There's usually just a half dozen things you got to do correctly most of the time in the role you're in. Now, each of those things going through life driving a car or the role you're in require thousands of different activities, require doing different things at different times. I understand that. There's more associated with it. It's not a little bit more complex than just a half dozen things. But they're usually just a half dozen things that drive everything else. So getting the half dozen things figured out will drive everything else. So what are the half dozen things that the role must produce? What are the half dozen things that the person in that role must do on a consistent basis in order to produce the results we're looking for? Taking time to define that – is really crucial. Getting back to it, I talked about, the compensation drives behavior. So what behavior do you want from that person? That's question number two. First of all, you'd have to identify what results do you want that person to produce in a role. Now, let me go into this a little bit further because that's really the foundation of putting together a compensation plan. First of all, let's, let's look at how companies are organized. And generally, they're organized in about four or five different ways. Generally, companies are focused in the area of being sales-driven. This is a sales-driven organization. It's the driving of revenue that floats the boat. There are some organizations that are operationally driven. In other words, operational excellence will float the boat. There are some companies that are financially driven, which means they just purely look at the numbers and how the numbers come together will float the boat. There are some companies who have a focus of being marketing driven. Yeah, the better they are at, at marketing, the better their company does. And there's some companies who are clearly focused that they're, they are product driven. They, the quality of our product or, or having any new product introduced into the marketplace is what floats the boat. Now, You could argue that every one of those, marketing-driven, product-driven, financially-driven, operationally-driven, and sales-driven are all important. All those require a focus inside a company, and I would agree with that. But on average, typically, most companies have a singular focus generally associated with the person at the top. Either that person is sales-driven, operationally-driven, financially-driven, marketing-driven, or product-driven. They usually just have a primary focus. And I don't care which one it is, but as an employee or a prospective employee, you should know that. As a manager or a prospective manager going into a company, you should know that. As the person running that company, you should know what your primary focus is because that dictates compensation because we tend to compensate the things that we value the most. I'll give you an example. In, a, in some, uh, let's take the beverage industry, for example. In the beverage industry, let's take some national brands. It could be Budweiser. It could be Pepsi-Cola. It could be the Coca-Cola Company. doesn't matter. Most of that market share is decided when you get up every day. In other words, if Budweiser has a 40% share of the marketplace today, chances are they'll have a 40% tomorrow. They don't have to worry about their market share. It's somewhat set. Now, do they worry about it? Of course they do. But it's it's kind of a static number at this point given their company history. So are we going to reward our people to go out and increase our market share? Mm, Not so much. Now, do we need new customers? Every business needs new customers. New customers regenerate the profits. It's your current customers that pay the bills. But are we going to overly pay somebody to go out and acquire and drive our market share? Hmm, probably not. Are we going to, if we we're Budweiser again and we had, let's pretend we had a 40 share, are we going to go out and we're going to overpay our marketing people to create these great, you know, Budweiser ads that feature the Clydesdale or the Bud Light ads whatever it doesn't matter what they are are we going to pay the marketing people to become you know develop these genius ads to help drive that probably not our market share is pretty well decided. well what's going to float the boat in a national beverage company like Budweiser? well what's going to float the boat is can we manufacture the beer if we can't get the beer out the back door doesn't matter what else we're doing. So the manufacturing of that, The distribution of that is what's most critical. So guess who's going to get paid the most inside those organizations? Now, I don't say the most in terms of total compensation. You would say, well, the CEO gets paid the most or this VP gets paid the most. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about for the work that you do in terms of the value that you bring, how are you going to get rewarded for that, where are they going to place the value? They're going to place the value on the production people because if you can't produce it, it doesn't matter what your market share is. It not matter what the distribution is. They've got to be able to manufacture it consistently and have the quality that they're looking for. Without that, they're not going anywhere. And if you don't believe me on that, just go look at Templeton Rye. You know, uh, I drink Templeton Rye every now and then. I enjoy it as a beverage. Uh, it took off wildly successful, and that's why you can't find it on the shelves anymore. But if we were to go back and look at that company, we're going to initially we'd pay, well, let's go pay some people to go out there and uh, introduce the product. But the product had such high quality and people became great fans of it. Guess what? They couldn't produce enough of that. Guess where their focus is going to be? Being able to produce that on a consistent basis at the same time maintaining the quality. The product, being as good as it is, will probably sell itself. All we have to do is introduce it to enough new people. So take a look at your organization. This is true if you're going to go to work for somebody. You should know this because if you think you're the most important person inside a company and you think that you should get paid X amount of money, there's nothing wrong with thinking that way. But if you're marketing-driven and the company's product-driven, it's probably not going to be a match. If you're financially driven and they're operationally driven, probably not going to be a match. If you're sales-driven but they're operationally driven, you're going to be in conflict with each other. So you have to understand the company you're working for, what is their focus, and how do they drive things. That's the number one thing. You have to get that right. Next, we have to kind of look at what kind of results do we want the, the roles inside our company to produce. So we have this role, and why does it exist, and what results are you looking for? We'll talk about that when we come back. We'll give you some key insights on how to identify what results you're looking for. Just by simply asking one question, you can identify what's primarily important to you. For additional resources on this, go out to the website, biztalkradioshow.com. Draw your attention to the podcast tab on the website. The programs we've done over the last two years are available in podcast form, available for you just to download or simply listen to on the website. You can go out to iTunes and actually register for BizTalk Radio Show. And every time we post something new, it can be automatically downloaded to your iPhone or your iPad, whatever you want. Okay, so those resources are available at biztalkradioshow.com. If you want to send me an email, just send it to jim at biztalkradioshow.com. That's B-I-Z, talkradioshow.com. So we started off our program tonight talking about how the primary thing you have to understand is where the focus of your company is at whether it's sales-driven, operationally-driven, f- financially-driven by the numbers, marketing-driven, or product-driven. That'll tell you where the the emphasis is going to be placed on the importance of certain roles inside a company. And we transitioned over to talk about what roles may exist out there inside a company and what kind of results you expect out of those roles. And for the example I'll use in this program, we'll talk about a sales role. And this is what I typically hear from people. I say, you know, what kind of results are you expecting from this salesperson? Uh, this role you have out there has to produce X amount of something. I said, well, you know, we want that person to go out and sell a million dollars this year. We need $1 million in revenue from this person. I said, okay, that's the, that's the end result that you're, you're looking for. I get that. How are you going to pay people? Well, I'm going to pay them to produce that million dollars. And I said, well, then it'll never happen. Because you can't go out and produce a million dollars. If you're in a sales role and your only goal or objective, you've been told, is to go out and produce a million dollars, you have no control over that. Unless you have a printing press in your basement where you can print $100 bills, which is highly illegal, and bring those into the office, enough of those to generate a million dollars, then you can't do it. What you can do, though, is you can, you can get in position to ask people to buy and hopefully get in position to ask people to buy enough that would total a million dollars. See, what you can control are the behaviors it takes to get the result you're looking for. Now, most people who lead organizations – are internally driven people. And what I mean by that, there are, there are externally driven people and there are internally driven people. 40% of the population is internally driven. 40% of the population is externally driven. And what I mean by that is internally driven people get out of bed each morning. They intuitively know what they have to do and they just go do it without hardly any outside stimulation. They're internally motivated. Externally motivated people tend to have, need, and want some other external motivator to get them to do what they need to do or should be doing or want to be doing. It could be It's an external form of stimulus. Now, that could be something as simple as a motivational tape. It could be something as simple as a boss telling you you're doing a great job. It could be something as simple as a customer saying that this is what I need and want from you. That's that external motivation. Neither of them are right or wrong inside an organization or who you are as a person. Doesn't matter. Just you have to understand which one you are so you can understand what gets you going. So the problem is most people in leadership roles are internally motivated. Therefore, they think the rest of the world is internally motivated. They simply can't understand why someone would need some outside stimulus to jumpstart what they need to get done. Well, It's that lack of understanding or appreciation of that that gets in them trouble. Because internally motivated people can look at end results and just go do the behaviors to get there. Externally motivated people tend to need some motivation to do the activities to get to the end result. So that's the reason that compensation drives behavior. So you have to look at what behaviors you want and reward the behaviors that hopefully will produce the results you're looking for, which gets back to what I commented on earlier, that there's generally just a half dozen things that you do in any role, in anything you do in life that will dictate the results you're looking for. So what are the half dozen things that a person must do on a daily, weekly basis to produce the results you're looking for? So let's go back to our sales example here. If we're asking that role to produce a million dollars, that's great. By when? Well, by the end of the year is usually what I hear. Well, that's okay. But what do we? How do we get that million dollars in? Is it, is it two hundred fifty thousand a quarter? is there must be some seasonality to this. There must be some peaks and valleys to this. And people don't take time to, to plan that. Well, we just need a million by the end of the year. So you're willing to wait 11 months for somebody to sit around and then the last month of the year bring a million dollars in so your company can survive You know, 11 months without that oxygen, meaning the revenue that's feeding into that organization? Well, no, not. Probably that way. So how would we expect this to come in? We'd want to plan that out by the month or by the quarter. Then we want to plan out what the activities would be to get in position to ask somebody for a million dollars to get it. Now, the problem with that is we don't get 100% of what we ask for. No one has a closing ratio of 100%. So we have to know what the closing ratio is. In other words, how many times do we ask versus how many times do we get so if you have a goal of a million dollars and you have a closing ratio of 25 percent, then you better be in position where you ask somebody for four million dollars, because 25 percent of four million is a million. So what kind of activity would it take to get in position to be in front of somebody enough times to ask them for their share of the four million dollars you need to generate? I mean, it's pretty simple when you look at it that way. How many appointments would you have to set? How many letters of introductions would you have to do? How many referrals would you need? How much of that activity would you need to do to get in position, to be in front of somebody, to find out what their issues are, to discover what they need, to see if you have some products or service in alignment with those needs, being able to present those back to that person, being able to orchestrate how that fits into their organization, and be able to sell that through, which is generally what I'm talking about the length of sales cycle. You have to understand that. We have to understand the closing ratios. In our example, one out of four, you'd have to be in position to ask for $25 million, excuse me, $4 million to get $1 million. And you'd have to be able to go out and understand that that generally takes us, on average, about 60 days, is it 90 days, or 120 days to get in position to do that with somebody. When you start doing the math, you can start to recognize, well, let's say, for example, that it's 90 days. From the time you introduce yourself to somebody to the time they buy somebody, on average, it's about 90 days. Well, if you need to ask for $4 million, and it generally takes 90 days, that means you're asking for $4 million well before October of 2011. Because you can't be asking for that past October because it pushes it into next year. So now your year really centers around the fact that between now and October, you've got to get in position to ask for $4 million. Now, if you're not compensating the behavior the right way, I'll guarantee you the activities are never going to happen in that salesperson. Most salespeople are externally driven. You just have to be okay with that. They have to understand it. You have to understand that. But you have to be able to reward the right behaviors. That's the stimulus they need in order to do the behaviors they need to get done in a timely manner to produce the results that you're trying to get to. Now, this is true in any position in a company. You have to understand that the net result you're looking for, but the activities it takes to produce that result. And are you paying and rewarding people for those activities? Well, you have to know what those activities are. You'd have to know what the results specifically you're looking for. And let's stick to um, our uh, example of uh, the salesperson and what type of activities that they need to do. I was just looking at this over the other day. I think there are, if I do the math correctly, I was looking at um, some activity-based measurements that we have at the performance group. And when I was looking this over, we had generally, I think we've identified, oh, somewhere in the neighborhood of 68 different activities that a sales manager or a salesperson should be in charge of. Now, when I put that list together, when I say, well, how many activities should our sales managers or our salespeople be associated with, I come up with a list of about uh, 90 of those. So for a sales manager's role, we've identified there are about 90-some activities that uh, they could be involved with in terms of producing results you're looking for. We looked at 11 uh, results-based things that could be measured in that sales manager's role. The same thing is true in our salespeople. We looked at 11 different results-based things you can measure, and we looked at 32 different activities that a salesperson could be involved in. So simply saying $1 million is not good enough, because the question I usually ask on that is, okay, so if the $1 million comes in at the last month, you're okay with that? And they say, well, generally not it has to be spread out. We expect this much by this time. I said, okay. So if I go out and generate a, a million dollars, but it's below your margins, are you okay with that? Well, no, I didn't say that it had to be at under margins. Well, what would those margins have to be? What would be the parameters around that? I said, okay. So if you got, uh, I went out and generated a million dollars, we brought it in throughout the year at your margins, but our the customers they sold to took 180 days to pay their bill, would you be okay with that? Well, no, I didn't say that. So there's a lot more to it than just saying go out and generate a million dollars. But that's generally where we stop. Say, well, just go get a million dollars. Well, there's a lot more to it than that. What are the parameters around that million dollars that you're trying to produce? That's the results that we're looking for. Because it could be gross dollars, it could be profit dollars, it could be sales volume by product, it could be sales volume by customer, it could be add-on, repeat business, it could be the ratio between new business and retained business, it could be what percent is uh, new product sales into that uh, customer base, I mean, what really floats your boat? Because if you just say a million dollars, you're going to have somebody go out and just renew the book of business they currently have and generate the million dollars. In the meantime, you've invested new products and new services that customers should be buying because it helped their business, but you have salespeople who won't introduce those new products and new service because there's no compensation tied to it. You just expect them to do the right thing. Again, without outside stimulation, they probably won't. So when you sit down with your people and say – Out of the 60% of the people you're going to retain this year who are going to renew our standard products with this, I want 50% of those to be introduced into our new product line and our new services, if it makes sense for them. And that's what you have to say. You know, let's introduce at least 50% of the customer base to the new product or service. Because if we introduce it to them, we explain it the right way, X percent would automatically buy. But do you tie their compensation to that? Do you know the behaviors they're expected to do in order to do that? So the key question I told you before the break to identify this in any role in your company is simply ask yourself this question. And the question is, what would have to happen in order for you to be happy with their performance this year? Now, the key word is happy. Not ecstatic, not cartwheels but not disappointed and frustrated, but just happy. See, too often I go into an organization and they say, we need to hire a new salesperson. Well, they need to produce. Well, they need to produce $2 million, $2 million this year. And I usually say, has anybody ever in your company history in the first year ever produced $2 million? Well, no, but they needed to be doing this. I said, well, what's the likely chance that's going to happen? See that would be ecstatic if someone came in who's never done this before. You happen accidentally found the right person. They produced two million dollars. It wouldn't be happy. That would be ecstatic, wouldn't it? So what would it take to be happy? And I'm always amazed. People say, well, if they did about eight hundred thousand, you know. So in any role, what would have to happen in order for someone to, you know, for you to be happy with their performance? Then you can start setting up some type of metrics on what happy looks like that should be the performance standard what static would look like that should be the, the stretch goal and what disappointment would look like if they fell down to this low and if you're able to communicate that to your people guess what now we'd have an understanding of the spectrum they can perform in from being frustrated to being static. so what would have to happen in order for you to be happy with their performance over the next year So we've gone back and we've talked about on the program understanding what results the role should produce. That's number one. And the behaviors that need to happen in order to produce those results. And I'll tell you, it takes some soul searching to get that identified, especially if you're a growing company. You just expect people just to go do. You go hire people that just have the talent or the experience to do that and you expect them to do that. That will take you so far. But then you're just tied exactly to talent and you have no system or process or understanding what drives things inside your business. And when that talent leaves, all the wisdom walks out the door with them. So taking time to understand this about the key roles in your company is just so critical, especially in growing companies. It gets to the point where you're no longer a, an experiment. It gets to the point where it's no longer a concept. You're actually a going entity where people depend on you. When you get to that point in your company, when you're, in, you're out of survival mode, you have to start looking at what's the, what's the systems and processes and the structure that support what we're doing. So you take the wisdom from the people and find some way to put some type of metrics to the activities that need to get done. This is what I know to be true. This is what I know how to do it. What do you know about that and how you do that Needs to be documented. I sat down with a company president recently because they're trying to expand their sales department. This person had primarily been the revenue producer, which typically happens in entrepreneurial based companies that are growing. And I said, Hey, as you move outside that role, we should know exactly what you're doing. And we found out that there were, uh, I can count them up here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten things that happens inside their sales process. There are 10 definable steps. And we also start identifying that as they grew the organization, that this person, even though they did all 10 steps themselves initially, they started delegating certain steps to different people. Without, you know, actively thinking about this, it just went off and did it. This was, there wasn't a plan to it. So what one, one of those was lead identification, lead qualification, and appointment setting was actually delegated to another person. And that, as they worked together, it worked out fine, but when they started adding more salespeople, it became much more complex because how much lead identification and lead qualifying and how much appointment setting would we need to do to support three salespeople now instead of just one? And could one person do that, or would we bring another person in to do that part of the sales process? Will we expect our new salespeople to come on board to do that? And if so, how much of that should they be doing? And how would we compensate for that? See, the lead identification, lead qualifying, and appointment setting is just 33% of everything that we're looking at getting done here. You know, conducting some type of uh, discovery call, introducing the capabilities of the companies, doing the, the capabilities presentation... And then doing a product demonstration and presentation and then presenting the solution and closing that down were different parts of the activities. And so what we did was basically plotted that out and we said, okay, who plays a primary role in doing this? Who plays a secondary role in doing this? So we can start compensating people for their primary roles that they were doing and give them focus on what their primary role was. This is what they needed to be doing primarily or most of the time. And how would we pay you for that? What part of the value does that bring to the equation? So if you're working with salespeople, guess what? You have to understand what are the steps in the sales process, and are they in charge of those steps by themselves, or are there other people assisting them in doing that? And I especially see the conflict as companies begin to grow, where they had one salesperson do all the steps in the process Now, they bring in additional resources to do like lead generation or lead qualification or appointment setting, and they're paying that person, but they haven't adjusted the salesperson's compensation because they didn't make it clear to begin with, these are the 11 things you're doing. If I'm going to take three of those things away, I'm not going to pay you for those three things anymore. I have to pay another person for that. But if the other person does that, they're going to generate more activity for you, thereby putting you in position to get in position to ask more people for more money. Therefore, you're going to make more money. And this is the end of the equation I'm going to pay you on, which is the asking and getting part. But since we haven't had that discussion, we now have conflict because the person thinks that, hey, I'm getting a cut and pay for doing the same work. Well, no, you're not. We're taking that part away, and we're giving this part to you over here. So you have to understand what that discussion is. And it's true in any department where you're paying somebody to do something, but then when you start delegating activities away somebody has to pay for the work getting done there's only x amount of dollars to go around inside a company so in all your key positions is it very clear what behaviors you're paying them for the steps are going to go through because if you outsource those steps or take those steps away or do something else delegate those steps somebody has to pay for that you can't pay people the same you know for doing just basically one job so anyway That's what you need to take a look at in in compensating our salespeople. The other thing you need to take a look at is that generally you tend to look at it linear, meaning produce a million dollars. And I tend to look at it from a metric saying, okay, produce a million dollars. It looks like this, but there's the activities it takes to produce those things. It's a combination of both of those what we're going to pay you for. The activities tend to be a base pay, I'm going to give you a salary, but I'm going to define what that salary is used for. You have to turn in reports by this date. The reports have to be accurate. You have to do this level of activity. Now, if you fall off on your behavior side, your salary is going to go down. Now, we'll gladly pay you for the results side. You know, over here, X amount of commission for that. In combination with the base, I'm going to pay you over here for the activity side. So what are the half dozen activities you know, have to get done on a consistent basis. How would you quantify those? How would you measure those? And how would you pay people for those? Because you can't just simply say, here's the base salary for just showing up. Because that's what they're going to start doing. They're just going to start showing up, expecting to get paid, but not producing the activities or doing the activities that produce the results. Well, because I'm getting paid because I'm just showing up. That's what the agreement says. No, the agreement says, I'm giving you a base salary to do these activities on a consistent basis and like we said before you know we've identified what about 30 some 32 different activities they could be doing anything and i'll give you the major categories these fall under prospecting has six qualifying has four developing has five proposing has five closing has six and retaining has another six So understanding what those key activities are in those, you're able to pay your base salary based on getting those done. If you want more information, just send me an email to jim at biztalkradioshow.com. We'll gladly share that with you. So thanks for being with the program here tonight. Hopefully you found this insightful and give you some tools to help motivate your people and have a better year this year. We'll see you next week on BizTalk. I'm your host, Jim Lobato. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website at www.biztalkradioshow.com or you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. If you want to learn the strategies how to take your sales force to the next level, you can contact the performance group at 800-550-9509 or visit us on the web at www.pmgllc.net.